0: I want to know if we can have an honest conversation this morning. I want to have an honest conversation about prayer, particularly how you and I pray for one another. Now, I know that all of us have had those awkward moments of prayer, like those times which you're in a prayer meeting and like two people start praying at the same time and then they both stop at the same time and then crickets. You ever been there? I know we have, we've been there. How about the time where you are called on to pray after all the prayer requests have been mentioned? You're called on to pray and you can't remember anything that was mentioned. You don't know what to pray for. So you give that blanket prayer, hoping that no one will notice. Have you ever been there? I know I have. And then there's those times where someone asks you to pray for them. You're like, yes, I will absolutely pray for you. when's your surgery, or when do you need me to pray for you? You say, I'll do it. And so the next Sunday rolls around, and you see them coming, and you're like, I forgot to pray. So you throw that quick prayer. Hey, been praying for you, brother. (laughs) Been there. We've been there, right? And we've all had those awkward times of prayer. And today I want to talk about prayer uh, from the book of Philippians. You see, this week I was researching this, and I I came across this song by Jaron... uh Jaron Lowenstein. It's about a 10-year-old country song. And uh, he writes this song and it's called I Pray For You. I mean, great title to a song. I mean, we should all be praying for one another. And he writes this song, he says, I pray for you, written about 10 years ago for about a breakup that he had with his girlfriend. And here's what he prays: here's the song. Here's how the song goes. He says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great until they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher, and he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others that have wronged you. He said, sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job. Just pray for them. I mean, he starts out so good, and then he prays. He prays for his ex-girlfriend. And he prays, I I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know, wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. Now, hopefully we're doing better than that. Hopefully we're doing better than Jaron's prayer. But a lot of times, I mean, we just don't know what to pray. And we've had those awkward prayer moments. I remember the first prayer meeting that I ever went to. And, uh, and, and I was a relatively new Christian, and I'd never been to a prayer meeting before. And, and so I show up to this prayer meeting. And, and in this prayer meeting, uh, it got awkward real fast. See, first of all, what they, and it all started with the holding hands. So they said, we're going to form this circle, and we're all going to hold hands. And so the first thing I'm wondering, like, what do Christians do? Do Christians cup hands, or do they intertwine fingers? Listen. Christians always cup hands. Always. Never intertwine the fingers, always cup the hands. You got it? Always, never intertwine the fingers, always, always, always cup the hands. And so I didn't know what to do. So I'm saying, okay, so then I've got two guys on the side of me, two strangers, people I don't know. One guy comes over the top, the other guy comes underneath. So I'm sitting here praying like this. I'm like, I don't, this is so weird and so awkward. And on my left, I've got... A guy that's like, it's like holding on to a dead fish. And the other guy is like overly aggressive squeezer. So he's cutting the circulation off. And I'm wondering if this dude's alive. And I can't tell. And so we, the prayer, I'm sitting there and I've got these guys and it's already weird. And then the prayer starts. and the prayer, And the prayer starts on the opposite side of the circle. And so it starts going one by one. I'm watching them pray. And the circle keeps getting closer, and the prayer wave keeps getting closer and closer and closer to me. And I'm like, I, I've already decided I'm not praying. I'm sitting this one out. This isn't going to be me. So it gets to dead fish guy, and he starts praying. And he prays, and then he gives the squeeze. You know the squeeze? I didn't know the squeeze. I had no idea what the squeeze meant. No one gave me a manual for prayer meetings. Like, he gave the squeeze, which apparently means that it's my turn to pray and if i don't want to pray i'm supposed to squeeze the hand of the guy next to me did not know that had no clue and so he gives the squeeze and i'm like i'm just sitting this one out i'm just going to let it go i'm going to let the prayer wave pass just let it move on to overly aggressive guy and so i'm sitting there and the wave stops the prayer wave stops and it's at me, and I'm sitting there, it felt like five minutes, and I'm like, everybody's got to be staring at me, so finally, I get the nerve to peek one eye out at overly aggressive squeezer guy, and Mr. Squeezy is staring at me, and I'm like, I give him the nod, the universal nod of, I'm sitting this one out, I'm done, and so he starts praying, but the awkward thing about his prayer is the more he prayed, the louder he got, and the harder he squeezed. And then the prayer circle completes, and it's done. We all wipe the sweat off our palms and leave the building. I'm like, this is so weird. It's so strange. Like, I I just couldn't put my head around this prayer meeting, and we've all been there. And so today, we're going to pick up in Philippians 1, verse 9. In Philippians 1, we see this is a passage of Scripture where Paul actually begins to pray for the church at Philippi. Now, if you recall last week, he mentioned that he's going to pray for him. And in verses 3 and 4, he says, I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always in my prayer for you all, making my request with joy. So verses 3 and 4, he says, I'm going to pray for you. But verse 9, he actually starts praying for him. And if you're familiar with any of Paul's writings and any of his letters, you know and you understand that, that Paul would often write out his prayers for the various churches that he had started and he was writing to. So clearly he writes here to the church in in Philippi. But he also wrote to the church in Ephesus. And if you read Ephesians, you can read the prayer that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. In Colossae, he writes to the church in in Colossae in the book of Colossians and he writes out the prayer. You also find his prayer written to the Thessalonians, to Timothy and Philemon. And this was a major part of Paul's life. I mean, his prayer life was a huge aspect of his life. He prayed for people, and he prayed for people regularly, and often he would write those prayers out and send them within the letters that he had written to the churches. I think it's, it's safe to say that, that nothing really defines a person's spiritual life more than that person's prayer life. And as we read Paul's prayers, we can see that Paul has a deep and abiding prayer life. And it's interesting to note that if you read all of the prayers that Paul wrote in Scripture to the churches, now these weren't the only prayers that he prayed. These were the ones he chose that were important enough to write down. Whenever you read those prayers, what you will discover is that he never once... Prayed for anything physical. He never once prayed for anything physical. He was constantly praying for their spiritual well being. Not that he never prayed for anything physical, it's just that he chose never to write it down. So, what did Paul pray? Well, Paul prayed in in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 9, and he says this And it is my prayer. So, here it is. This is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. And so I want you to picture Paul in one of our typical Bible studies. Just pick any church and just, just picture Paul in that Bible study. And the Bible study teacher gets at the end of the lesson. He goes, all right, any prayer requests? Anybody? Anybody prayer requests? You got somebody over here? All right, yes, what's your prayer request? Traveling mercies, okay. You're going to the beach. Fantastic, great. Uh, I'm not sure what traveling mercies are, but we'll pray for them. We'll pray for the traveling mercies. Okay, anybody else? Any other prayer requests? We got some, okay, you over here. Oh, okay, we need to pray for you, all right. And so, how can we how can we pray for you? Oh, your your goiter and your bunions are bothering you. Perfect, we'll we'll definitely uh, pray for that. Um, any any other any other prayer request? You oh yes ma- you oh unspoken. Okay, you don't trust us enough to pray for you. All right, um, unspoken requests. And then and then you've got the person. There's always one right in every single Bible study. There's always one that just raises they're like I just want you to pray that God would bless our country and our church. In what way? Like Paul, we're going to find out in Philippians, considered suffering a blessing. So pray for our church to suffer, our country to suffer. Pray, what does that mean? I have no idea what it means, but that's what you want. Okay, we'll pray for that. And then you've got the guy. He's, he's very specific and very intentional with his prayer. And he raises his hand and says, listen, I want you to pray that Kyle Bush will win the race today. Just pray that. That's what I need. Pray for that. Could you imagine Paul sitting in the back of this Bible study? He raises his hand and the teacher. Yes, Paul, how can we pray? And Paul says, I want you to pray that our love as a church would abound more and more. Pray that everyone in our church would forfeit what is good so they can go after what is great and what is best. Pray that everyone would be filled with righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ. And don't forget to pray that whatever we do and everything we do, we do it to the glory of God. Can you see the difference in how Paul prays for the church compared to how we often pray for one another? Now, I'm not saying that that praying for physical things is a bad thing. I'm not saying we don't do it, but here's what I am saying. I am saying that I believe that oftentimes within the church, when we pray for one another, we stop short of what really matters. We stop short of praying for the spiritual needs by only praying for the physical needs. And Paul, I believe, would tell us, listen, don't stop short Pray for spiritual needs. Pray for, the, for the, the things that really matter, the things that will really make a difference. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to walk through this prayer. And I want us to discover what prayed what Paul prayed for the church, how he prayed for the church, because I believe that this can serve as a model for you and I to pray for one another. And so the, is the first thing you'll notice as he, as he prays, the first thing and, the, and really the only thing that Paul prays for is love. Listen to what he says. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And then he throws in with, and then verse 10, so that. In other words, this prayer is for love, and then he's going to talk about what our love is coupled with, and then he's going to say the benefit of our love. And so he's saying the first and only thing Paul prays for the church in Philippi is that their love would abound. That their love would abound more and more. Why would Paul pray for love? Because love is central to our walk with Jesus. Love is is what sets us apart. It is the way you and I love one another, as Jesus said, that people will determine and know that we are his disciples by the way that we love. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, and they asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Look at all of the Old Testament, all of the law, everything that's been written, and, say, and, and tell us which one of those commandments from the Old Testament is the greatest. What did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. He boils it all down and says that love is what is most important. Once Paul said that as he was writing to the church in Corinth, he said, now these three abide, faith, hope, and love. What does he say? The greatest of these is love. And so Paul, as he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, listen, your love, how you love is of utmost importance. And that's what I'm going to pray, that your love would abound. He prays for the most important expression of our Christian walk, our love. Dwight L. Moody, who was a, uh, a great uh, preacher and pastor at one time, he said this. He said, a man can be a good doctor without loving his patients. He can be a good lawyer without loving his clients. And he can be a good merchant without loving his customers. But he goes on to say, But a man cannot be a good Christian without love. You See, love is so important to our spiritual walks that Paul, as he devotes his time of prayer, that he's been building up for a few verses, a few sentences in this, in this letter to the Philippians. He builds us up and says the most important thing is that your love would abound. And So what I want us to do is see uh, three principles that we can discover from this passage. And the first one is this. Our love should be abundant. Our love should be abundant. Look at verse 9. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Your love, it should abound more and more. It should be Abundant. But notice what Paul didn't say. He didn't say who to pray for. He doesn't say, I want you to pray. Uh, He doesn't say, I want your love for God to grow. He doesn't say, I want your love for people far from God to grow. He doesn't even say, I want your love for one another. He doesn't say who, and I believe that's intentional. I actually believe Paul intentionally left out the who because love is the Christian ethic. Love is what each and every one of us as followers of Christ are called to do. Yes. First and foremost. Just listen to Jesus. Jesus said. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First and foremost. You and I are to love God. But we're also to love others. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love we're to love our, our, the least of these. We're to love our enemies. We're to love one another. We're to love people from, ev- from different races, different ethnicities, different nationalities. We're to love people from different worldviews. We're to love people from different political parties. We're to love everyone. People we agree with, people we disagree with, people we like, people we don't like. We're to love everyone in the same way that Jesus loves us. And so Paul prays, and he prays that their love would abound more and more. In other words, Paul is saying, I pray that your love would overflow up to God and pour out to others. That's what he's saying about our love, that our love would be so intense and so great that it would overflow it would, it would overflow up to God, and it would, it would pour out to others abundantly. And notice he tells them, he said, I want, you to, I want your love to abound more and more. In other words, this implies that they're already doing it. They're already loving one another. They're already loving God. He just doesn't want them to stop. In fact, he wants them to do it more. So these, this church in Philippi, and we know that Paul had a deep affection for this church. He had a deep love for this church. So he prays that their love would continue and that they would add to it, that they would, they would love even more. But you got to understand, the church in Philippi was under intense persecution. They were facing incredible obstacles. And they had enemies all on every side. And Paul says, I want your love to increase. I want you to love more and more. As Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said this, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's saying that our love, the implication is this, that if God's love flows into us, it should do what? Flow out of us. That's the intention of God's love. That God loves us so much. That God so loved the world. That God demonstrates His love for us in this, that Christ... Uh, died for us while we were still sinners that intense amount of love that god pours on us should flow through us and out of us to others that is exactly what paul is praying for the church and here's listen careful this also this is what it also means it also means this that if i receive that i have to receive god's love in order to give god's love I have to be willing to receive it. I have to be willing to preach the gospel and remind myself of the gospel every single day. As a follower of Christ, I need to remind myself of God's intense and immense love for me so that I can receive that love and allow that love to flow through me out to others. That's Paul's prayer for the church that their love would abound. That God's love would be poured out on them. So that God's love could flow through them and out of them to other people. So let me ask you this question. How would you describe your love? How would you describe the way that you love? Are you loving your spouse abundantly? How about your children? How about your family? How about friends? How about neighbors? Is your love overflowing to those that are not like you? Or your, is your love flowing to, to, to others that, are, that have different worldview than you? Is your love flowing to others that, that may, the people that you disagree with? See, Paul is saying to the Philippians, your love should overflow toward everyone. He says our love should be abundant, but he also says our love should be guided. Our love should be guided. Look at verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, our love is to flow and, and, and abound with knowledge and discernment. And so Paul's not naive. He's not just throwing out love as a cliche. He's not just saying, hey, listen, you just, all you need is love. He's not saying that. He's not not saying that love is blind, but what he is saying is that love needs boundaries. So here's the way I want you to think about the love that flows through us. I want you to think about the love that flows through us running between two riverbanks. On one side you have knowledge, and on the other side you have discernment. And it is between knowledge and discernment that our love is to flow. What does that mean? Says our love should abound in knowledge. Well, this word for knowledge in the Greek really means spiritual knowledge. It's not just about getting head knowledge, it's not just about studying, it's about spiritual knowledge. It's about discovering who God is, it's discovering the truth of God's word, it's discovering more and more and more about Jesus. And so, Paul is saying that our, our, we should increase in our spiritual knowledge. We need to know God more. We need to know His will more. We need to know His truth more. That's why it's so important for you and I to daily spend time in God's Word. That's why it's so important for us to open up God's Word, read it devotionally, learn from it, discover new truths in it, look for God's love within the pages of Scripture, and apply it to our lives. And so Paul is saying, listen, you need to increase your spiritual knowledge. That is the first side of this riverbank where our love flows. It flows through how we know God. Here's why it's important. Here's why knowledge, spiritual knowledge, is so important. Because the more you know God, the more you'll love God. And the more you love God, the more God's love will will flow through you to others. That's why spiritual knowledge is so important. Because the more we get to know God... The more we study His Word, the more we read, the more we pray, the more we understand who He is and what He's done for us, the more that we know Him, the more that we're going to love Him. And the more that we love Him, the more that we can love others. So he says the first riverbank is knowledge. The second riverbank is discernment. Now that word for discernment, it can be described as wisdom, it can be described as insight, but really what the context and what it really means That particular word means practical insight for day-to-day living. Like, how do we actually go and live this out? So think of it this way. Knowledge asks the question, what is right? Discernment asks the question, what is best? So on one side you've got knowledge and you're discovering what is right, what is true, what is just. And on the other side, you've got discernment, which you're saying, what is best in this moment, at this time, what is the best thing for me to do in in order to live it out? So you've got knowledge of God and you've got discernment and wisdom on how to actually apply it. And that is the, the river through which our love flows. And it seems to me that Paul has in mind this idea of, as he prays for the Philippians, that God would help them answer this question. What is the best way for me to love the person that, that that based on what God's Word says? What is the best way for me to love my neighbor in this moment based on what I know of Scripture to be true? What is the best way for me to love my spouse based on what I know in Scripture to be true? What is the best way for me to love my co-worker, my children, my family based on what I know to be true? That's what Paul is talking about. And I think it's best understood in light of... of um, In light of some practical examples. Because the reality is, based on our knowledge of Christ and our knowledge of His Word, there may be several appropriate ways to love someone. There may be some really appropriate ways to to, uh, express love, but we need discernment and wisdom in order to discover which one is best in that moment. For those of us who are parents, let's think about it this way. If you're a parent, you know that you can love your children in many, many ways. On one side, you can love your children through rewarding them. And on the other side, you can can love your children through disciplining them. Discipline and rewards are both ways that we as parents can love our children. And so we know in light of God's word that we are to train up our children in the way that they should go. We know that our children are a blessing. And so we know those truths to, to, to be accurate. But what Paul is saying is that we need discernment in that moment to know which way is the best way to love them. Is it best to reward them now? Is it best to discipline them now? Think about it in marriage. I know for a fact from Scripture that, that it, Scripture teaches me that I am to lay down my life for my bride. Like I know that. It is very clear in Scripture that my love for Nicole is to be sacrificial. That I am to die to myself every single day. But there are also several ways for me to do that within our relationship. Based upon the moment, based upon the circumstances, and I need discernment to determine how I'm to lay down my life for my wife in that moment. Based on her love language, based on the circumstances we're in, based on on the the moments. Sometimes the best way I can love her is to sit and listen. Listen. Other times, the best way I can love her is to help her walk through something and give advice, and, and discern. but it takes discernment. And Men, if you get it wrong, you're in trouble. If your wife wants you to listen and you start giving advice, you're going to be in trouble. And if she's wanting advice and you're just listening, she's going to be like, what are you going to tell me? Help me out here. But see, that's where wisdom and discernment come in. We understand truth of Scripture, knowledge, and then through our discernment, we decide what is the best thing to do in that moment let's let's put the two together i think this will help us grasp really what paul is praying for when he prays for the church in philippi because this is ultimately what he's talking about is ultimately how you and i grow spiritually and how we disciple others to grow spiritually Because, see, here's what Paul's saying. He said, you need to know Scripture. You need to know Jesus. You need to discover truth. And then you need to use wisdom to live it out every day. Very similar to what what James said. James said, if you need wisdom, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. But James also said that we are to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. See, we need to understand Scripture, but we also need wisdom and discernment. In other words, what Paul is saying is how you and I grow spiritually is we know God... And we do what He says. We read His Word and we apply it to our lives. We know who Jesus is and we follow Him every day. We know God's truth and we live it out in, in every aspect of our life and our relationships. That's ultimately what spiritual growth is about. That's ultimately what discipleship is about. What, disi- what discipling someone means is you walk alongside them and help them discover a spiritual truth... And be wisdom to in order to apply it. And so, when Paul says this, he's saying, Listen, I want you to walk, I want your love to flow through the banks of knowledge and discernment. And then he gives three benefits for doing so. He says, When we live this way, when we love this way, there's going to be three benefits that are pointed out in this passage. He says this in verse 10, so that, in other words, he's saying, Here's what happens if you do that. If you love God and if you love others, and that love flows through the banks of knowledge and discernment, this is what's going to happen. So that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. And so that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. So he says approve what is excellent. What does that mean? He's talking about... What is God's will? What is the best thing to do? Because there's a lot of good things you can do, but what is the best thing to do? We need to approve what is excellent. Paul wrote about the same idea to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, he talks about the fact that that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we are to not conform to the patterns of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we we can test and approve God's will. And so Paul, as he prays for the Philippians, he says one of the benefits of loving in this way is that we're able to spot the phony. We're able to see the fake. We're able to discover the wrong and the evil, and we're able to avoid it. Why? Because we're able to choose what is best. We're able to choose God's will in every situation. Why? Because we have His love flowing through us between the banks of knowledge and discernment. Then he says to be pure and blameless. This means that we are sincere in our love. Our love is given and flows out of us without motive, uh, without unhealthy motives, without hidden motives. Romans 12, 9 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. How many times have we seen love with hypocrisy? What does that mean? That means somebody's got a hidden agenda. That means someone wants to express love to you without really loving you. And as a result of that, they're really looking to get something out of you or get something from you. That's love with hypocrisy. And Paul is saying that when we truly love God, and, we, and that love abounds and flows through us, that we're able to love pure and blamelessly. But then he goes on to say, not only that, but we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. What is that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. See, as we love properly... God fills us with His fruit, and that authentic, abounding love produces godly character, and godly character produces spiritual fruit. Those three benefits, that we're able to to determine what is excellent, what is right, and what is is God's will. We're able to be pure and blameless in the way that we love others, and we're able to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Those are the benefits. But there's one more thing I want to point out this morning, and it is this that our love has a greater purpose. Paul said our love should be abundant, it should be guided by knowledge and discernment, but it also has a greater purpose. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says that it would flow to the glory and the praise of God. See, Paul always has a higher purpose. As you read his letters and you read his writings, you will understand that he always has a, has a greater purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God. That purpose is to exalt Jesus, to lift up the gospel. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, church, in Philippi, and I'm praying that your love would abound, that your love would, th- would flow between knowledge and discernment, so that God would be glorified, so that God would get the glory. So that God would be exalted. And by the way, that's the purpose for all of our love, isn't it? Why do we love God? To bring Him glory. Why do we love our spouse? To bring God glory. Why do we love our kids, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies? To bring God glory. Why do we, the reason Christians love is to bring glory to God. You know how I know that? Because all of life is designed to bring glory to God. The reason you and I are here, the purpose that God has placed us here is so that we would bring God glory. And so Paul is saying, listen, church in Philippi, I want you to grow in love. I want your love to abound more and more. I want your love to be guided by knowledge and discernment. I want you to be able to approve God's will. I want you to be able to to do so and be pure and blameless. I want you to bear fruit of righteousness. And I want you to do it all for the glory of God. This is how Paul prayed for the church in Philippi. And this is how you and I can pray for one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are challenged by the words of Paul. Because the truth of the matter is, oftentimes we really don't know how to pray for one another. Or if we do, it tends to be superficial and it tends to, to be stuck in the physical realm. And yet I believe through these words of Paul, you are encouraging us to begin to pray deeper for one another. You're challenging us to begin to pray for what really matters, the spiritual. What ultimately matters is our hearts. And God, I pray that you would help us to begin to, to practice what Paul taught as he prayed for the Philippians. That our love would abound more and more. That our love would flow through knowledge and discernment. That we'd be able to approve your will, to know your will, to follow your will. And we'd be able to do so pure and blamelessly, bearing fruit wherever we go. And ultimately, Father, our prayer is that everything we do, everything we do, every way that we love, every action we take, every word we speak would be done to bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.